Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Brand Called You. This is a podcast where we speak to some of the world's best thought leaders, and I'm super excited about today's guest, Amos Giora, who is a professor of law at the University of Utah. He, not only that, he served for 19 years in the Israeli Defense Forces as a lieutenant colonel and held a number of other senior command positions, including legal advisor to the Gaza Strip. He's also a prolific author and a lecturer who speaks about fascinating issues, including national security, the limits of power, and institutional complicity, among many other subjects. Um, but his books are what really fascinate me. He's written about the bystander and the Holocaust, about tolerating intolerance and the price of protecting extremism. But his most recent book, Armies of Enablers, Survivor Stories of Complicity and Betrayal in Sexual Assaults, particularly fascinates me. And I think it reflects his research on enabling culture and sexual assaults in general. And I'm super excited to have you here. Welcome, Professor Giora. Thank you so very much for having me. So I, I guess I have to start by saying that we share a history of being children of Hungarian Holocaust survivors. That and, um, um, I learned when we spoke, correct? Yes, but you know, um, your your passion for um, your passion and, and maybe a, a bit of anger about the the sort of uh, the bystander, or the 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 passive um, person who who witnesses any kind of injustice, um, violence, sexual assault. I wonder if I could just ask you if, do you think that your background as the child of a survivor has fueled this interest, has has given birth to it in any way? So I frankly, I had never thought of, about it that way, but uh, in, last, in October, the Utah Bar Association did a um, uh, dinner in honor of the bystander initiative at the law school and my dean spoke there. And she put it in, and I had never thought about it that way. My dean said, when you think about, you know, Amos's project on enablers by standards and sexual assaults, um, she said it's pretty clear to her that the impetus for this or the, the nudge, the push, um, is predicated on, on, on my parents' story and that their background and their quote-unquote interaction, non-interaction, of course, with the bystander and the cost of the bystander, uh, she suggest, suggests is what leads me to do what I do today. Um, and I think she she and her comments particularly emphasized my, my father's story, which for whatever reason is the one that she thought was particularly relevant. And I told her when I spoke after she spoke, I said, it's almost impossible, literally impossible to like, you know, move me. And I just, not my cup of tea, this whole emoting thing doesn't work for me. And I said to her, I said, you know, Dean, you actually caused me to emote because I'd never really thought that my father's god-awful story serves as, as the motivator, motivation, motivator for, yeah. for my work. And the the I guess the irony of ironies is my late father was a was an internationally recognized psychologist. And here I am in many ways, doing this, I guess, interdisciplinary work with law is the final goal, but there's a fair amount of psychology in this. And then I will tell you one other thing that I'll stop. Um, when we created the Bystander Initiative, we started raising money for it because you know, obviously these things require money to make these things work in the academy. And one of the people who reached out to me and is a very, 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 very generous donor. Um, when 
I said, wow, given this, the size of his, of his generosity, he turns out he had been a student of my father's 60 years ago and made it very clear that, um, first of all, he's forever grateful to my father. And two, he says, when you read your stuff, not my father's stuff, my stuff, he says, you can literally hear your father's voice in this. And he says, without you intend, without me intending to be, he said, it's almost like you're a continuation of your father. So that's very gracious. The difference, my father was the AAAAA league. I'm down here somewhere, but uh, uh, there's no concern between my father and myself, but I, I hadn't really thought about the link to your question, but perhaps others do see this. Well, that's well, a long answer, sorry. You know, obviously uh, both of us are haunted by the idea of what would have happened if, if you know, bystanders weren't so complicit during the Holocaust. But I, what is the bystander initiative? I don't know about it. So at the University of Utah Law School, we've created a bystander initiative, which uh, enables me to undertake this huge project called the ecosystem of, with a particular focus on the ecosystem of pedophilia. I have seven students, four undergraduates, three law students working on me. In 1997, a 12-year-old boy was murdered in West Virginia by his teacher principal. The case was covered up by local law enforcement. The teacher had been shuffled from school to school in Pennsylvania and in West Virginia. Uh, the private detective, an extraordinary person named Dan Barber, who lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, broke the case, took him two years. And Mr. Barber, who today is 75 years old, made this extraordinary decision half a year ago to bequeath to me contractually, formally, officially, 15,000 pages of documents related to the murder of the little boy. And so I'm using those documents and the boy's murder as the, uh, I think platform is the right word, platform for examining the ecosystem of pedophilia. I'm working on a book, um, working on an article. There's been a, there has been, will be podcasts about it. Um, to make all this happen requires, you know, funding and the way that centers, programs, initiatives work in, in the, you know, in the academy you got to go out on the hustings and raise money. Is is part of the ecosystem of pedophilia um, the complicit bystander? 100%. Actually, more than that, what makes the, the ecosystem, yes, but more nefarious than that are the enablers, uh, school administrators who knew about this particular teacher because there have been reports, rumors, stories, you know, out there, out there um, for 30 years. I mean, this guy was a serial, serial predator. Um, and every time the temperature got a little bit hot, the, he would simply be shuffled from school to school. Yeah. So in that sense, it's not bystanders, but it's enablers who different kinds of enablers. But I'm very involved in, in efforts to criminalize the behavior of, by, of enablers because I don't view it as a moral failings. Moral failings don't interest me. I'm you know, a professor of law and not a professor of ethics. And so one of the things I'm really involved in, um, whether in the United States or elsewhere in the world, is working with legislators to uh, see if we can criminalize the action of enablers. There is no jurisdiction in the world that does so. Um, this for me would be a significant achievement on behalf of the survivor. So there is no bystander laws if you witness a crime and oh, don't- hang on. There's a difference between bystanders and enablers. Bystanders are physically present and you're right. There are um, 11 states, Utah is now the 11th. There are tw 28 countries that have laws criminalizing the bystander who doesn't act when seeing a, a vulnerable individual. The enabler, different from the bystander, the enabler is not present when harm occurs. The enabler knows of the harm, for instance, receiving reports. So it's one step removed because bystander present, enabler not present, 
the, the enablers I look at are institutional leaders, whether it's university presidents, coaches, trainers, CEOs, I don't care churches, who it is. Churches, yeah. Churches. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, 100%. That's right. Let me ask you, saying you obviously believe that, that a moral fiber, moral standing is not enough to change behavior, that there has to be. So, so I actually have always considered this question long before I, I read about your own work. Um, I've always suspected that law has to precede moral reckoning, that that um, I, I think about black drinking fountains in the South. I think about um, restricted restricted clubs that wouldn't allow Jews in, that none of that, that the morality and the reckoning seems to always follow law. It doesn't go the other way. And I wondered if you you think that there is a natural occurring moral awakening or reckoning once laws in place. You know, we could, that is a a fascinating question that we could discuss until your hair looks like my non-existent hair, which comes first, morality or legality. For yeah. me, the, the law in conjunction with education, it's not enough to have a law, yay. Okay, but we have a law. You have to educate the public about the existence of the law, and then you have to have prosecutors willing to implement the law. It's not enough to have, you know, criminal code one, two, three, four. You know, the theory is that the law reflects society values and the law can't get ahead of society because if it gets ahead of society, it has no impact. Does the law reflect morality or does morality reflect the law? I guess you would get five people like me and five philosophers and probably get 27 different opinions. Um, what I what do, do you, know is that we need to criminalize these guys. That's for me. Is, but, but, and, but, but what do you genuinely think? Do you think it's possible to have the awakening before the law? I'm, I really am curious about what you think about that. There's more and more recognition, maybe because of the girls at Michigan State or the USA Gymnastics, Catholic Church, Penn State, maybe the Me Too movement, um, what's his name, Epstein and Friends, yeah. that there's maybe an, an increasing recognition that, that the perpetrator is awful, but we need to look at broader society or the, those who enable, right? The enablers. Is that a moral question or a legal question? You know, when law students ask me a question, I don't know the answer. I say, that's a really good question, which is cold yeah. with her. I don't know the answer. All right. So so I have so many questions I want to ask you. But the first is, you get um, you get a bystander during the Holocaust, um, the, the people watching in Auschwitz, the citizens watching everybody move. That's quite different. A life and death war situation, to me, feels different than a sexist situation. 100%. And that's why... That's why when I write about when I wrote about the bystander in the Holocaust, I, I hate the word. I use that use that as a platform to discuss the bystander in society today. Because you're right. To first of all, there's no um, retroactive punishment. There's no retroactive criminalizing. And again, it was a non. It was such a non-normative era that I, I understand that. But I clearly examine today's bystander through the lens of yesterday's bystander, because I understand the consequences of the bystander behavior. So that's why for, for when I wrote the book about the bystander in the Holocaust, first of all, I wrote about my parents, but two, I, I used the bystander of then to explain that the consequences of bystanders today uh, absolutely increases the peril of the person in danger. There's no attempt to say that the bystander of yesterday, you know, 33 to 45, uh, the bystander who you know saw my grandparents shoved onto a train in, 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 in Hungary, or the Serbian bystander who saw my father on his death march, or the uh, Hungary, the Budapest bystander who saw my mother, you know, scrambling through the streets of Budapest. 
there's no, I'm not going to criminalize them, you know, metaphorically. Right. I am going to use them to connect that to the bystander and sexual assaults. All right. So now I grew up in a very Hungarian, a very, I grew up in the Austria-Hungarian empire that happened to be in Clifton, New Jersey, but it was very old world. And my mother was raised my brother like he was the king on the throne and I was Cinderella scrubbing the floors. She'd be like, your brother, he needs you to feed him and his college friends, your brother. Okay, so he literally didn't have to lift a finger, never had to even reach for a, a, a cup of orange juice out of the fridge. Everything was done for this, this boy. And now, surprise, surprise, he's not aware that he's a bit insensitive or a bit, a bit sexist or has certain assumptions. Can I really blame this guy? I mean, he's a lovely man, but he is absolutely clueless about why he's offending people or he's making certain assumptions um, about my role versus his role. I mean, every single fiber in his being was raised to believe that it was his right to be entitled. How can I now expect this guy to understand that he's being uh, complicit in anything. In other words, doesn't social context create some level of forgiveness? Well, first of all, I leave families alone, but I, and I, 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 I want to hang up. But I had, no, no, I understand that. Uh, but I want to put in parentheses. I don't write about. I've made. A, I've made the decision for which I've been criticized. That I don't look at sexual assaults in families. I, I, I'm well aware of the criticism of that decision. That's okay. Yeah, sure. In many ways, we're 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 creatures of of the environment in which we are raised. Um, that, however, it was interesting what you said about the the water fountain uh, sixty years ago. Um, I teach when I teach criminal procedure. I start off with a lecture the first day of class by saying two things: one, what's DWB, driving while black, and that's the only way to view all cases. And two, I remind all my students that 60 years ago, a black man and a white man couldn't drink out of the same water fountain in, in the United States of America, not somewhere in the world, the United States of America. In terms of how, what societal expectations and your, what you're suggesting here about uh, your brother, how you were raised without in any way touching upon mom, the fact that society has certain codes doesn't mean that those codes are quote unquote kosher. And if the code, for instance, code of silence or the code of not intervening, if that results in harm to another person, then from my perspective, we need to unpack that code and to hold in and create laws which hold people liable, culpable. Yes, but I but I do believe like like that first that first or the the first few generations of of you know badly behaved men, for example. I I I I mean the feminist will hate me for saying this, but I. I kind of feel sorry for them because I genuinely believe they do not. I'm not saying all of them, but I genuinely believe there's a level of cluelessness that that has to be forgiven because every single every single factor condoned what they did. And suddenly now they're they're getting slapped. I mean, I, I do believe there has to be some um, the, the kind of punitive way that clueless people who for whom, you know, every level of their being was taught something is now being turned upside down. It seems a little harsh, no? Well, first of all, you're too young to remember Spiro Agnew, who was vice president of the United States of America. When the, when the tax authorities came to him a couple of years later, he said, you know, the bastards changed the rules and forgot to tell me. Right. So, right, okay. But so for me, in terms of the, the, the criminalization efforts, it's not looking back, it's looking forward. And you're right. That's why I said a few minutes ago that 
laws are important and it's important to have them in the book, but equally important as part part and parcel of that is, is educating the public about that. Yes. So you're right. There was, there is that take uh, Hollywood, which I mean, I don't watch movies, but I'm told that, you know, Harvey Weinstein, who was a God awful human being or Jeffrey Epstein, you know, also similarly a God awful human being from their perspective, I'm sure that was just the norm. And all those who were at the right. dinner parties at Epstein's, um, you know, modest uh, home there in, in Manhattan, um, or the, the the place in Florida or wherever else he was, they probably saw that as the social norm. Yeah. Moving forward, the, the those who will enable the next, next Jeffrey Epstein or the next Harvey Weinstein or the next Jerry Sandusky at Penn State or the next doctor here, there, and everywhere, moving forward, learning from that, that's where the criminalization comes in. And that, for yeah. me, is the focus of this. So it really has to be law accompanied with real, real, real education. Yeah, 100%. Right, one or the other, yeah. Um, let me ask you a question. I'm the daughter of a scientist, um, and uh, every man in my family is a scientist, so I, I always go to the neuroscience aspect. Mm. Uh, there has to be some level of neuroscientific benefit for being a, a quiet bystander. Um, the, the brain must be telling something to its complicit user no i don't know i'm just curious like in other words is is, survi is survival at certain moments dependent on complacency i met while writing the first book i met with a professor of psychology here i mean here being jerusalem and i asked him what you're asking me and he knew of, he knew my dad or of my dad he said to me he said, your dad would be turning over in his grave if he were to hear the following answer. We psychologists have never really asked a question that a law professor is asking. And I said, well, that doesn't help me much. He said, I don't really have an answer for you. It is a, it is a super interesting question. I mean, I can give you all the, the shallow answers, you know, identification with the institution, the dislike of the, of the individual that I heard a lot from the athletes, that the bystanders in their cases, for instance, trainers, um, are jealous of the athlete for variety, particularly women enablers. Women, this I heard from women athletes. Women athletes, when they would talk about women professional bystanders enablers, um, were very, very, very critical of women. Um, and when I they were making the argument, this I know will offend you and your audience. I know this in advance, so forewarned is forearmed. The point that the Olympic athletes were making that women enablers are jealous of women athletes, that the woman athlete is many of them are these are highly attractive people. Mm. They are they do things with their bodies that the rest of us can't imagine. They are in extraordinary physical condition. And they felt that that there was there's a great deal of jealousy and in some cases dislike of them. Um, but. And I, I understand that. Um, so jealousy is one, one biochemical response. But I, I also read that researchers have found that when when more when there's many people witnessing, uh, when more people witness violence, it's more likely someone will step up. And I mean that could be also there's a diffusion. There's a, well, there's a diffusion theory, right? 
that two different ways, more people intervene, more people present, let more people intervene, more people present, less intervene. Um, you know, I was once and one, I've been twice a bystander. Once, um, yay for me, there was a huge crowd and I saved someone's life, yay for me. And then second time, there was a ton of people and there was a by, there was a, a college student who um, assaulted a, a homeless guy. And I continued on my merry way because I had to get to a football game. And there were lots of people there. It was a Saturday afternoon in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and none of us were in danger. All of us had to, you know, go team, go to watch the, the game. Um, can I explain my my reaction when I saved someone's life as compared to my reaction when I walked away? Nope. And, you know, my late mother would tell you I am reasonably intelligent and I have no no rational explanation for you for why this case I acted correctly. In this case, I absolutely did not. By the way, the second instance, if I were local law enforcement, if there were a law in, law in the books, I would absolutely criminalize me, 100%. There was no, I was in danger. The team would win, the team would win or lose without me. They didn't need me in the stands, but you know, hell, I got to go to the game. I mean, I think it's such an under-researched area, isn't it? Totally. Um, one of the, one of the, hang on. One of the things that we're, in the article I'm writing, we're putting out a call for research. One of the things that is un, not only under-researched, it's non-researched, and that is assessing empirically, data-driven, the, the consequences of the actions of the enabler. I can tell you story after story. I mean, I can regale you with anecdotes until tomorrow, but I can't show you empirically how, to, how that, that harm is assessable empirically. And that's one of the things I've reached out to all, and all the people who are gracious enough. Uh, harm to, to who? Harm to who? To survivor. Say it again. There, to uh, the consequences of the enabler to the survivor. How would you, I mean, what I, are the consequences? What What are the benefits to the enabler? I'm just curious. Oh, to the to benefits yeah. of the enabler? Um, staying in the good grace of the institution, protecting the institution. But what has not been researched is the empirical driven, empirically driven research regarding the consequences to the survivor. There's, and we've reached out, my research assistants and I wow. have reached out to a zillion people by now worldwide. And everybody keeps telling me two answers. One, well, it's obvious there's harm. Okay, that's great, but that's not an answer. And two, you're right, that needs to be researched. And so I'm saying, dudes, let's get let's get on the bus and start because, researching the because because it's 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 like a double betrayal. It's the people that you work with, the people you trust. It's your family members. It's it it's so complex. The the consequences might even be ten times more insidious. It's interesting, than you use that word. One of the women who I interviewed, Maddie Larson, who's um, elite gymnast, um, who was sexually assaulted by Dr. Larry Nasser seven hundred and fifty times. The word she uses about enablers is abandonment. Because yeah. the way it worked it, it, with the with um, Olympic athletes, they send they would send the girls to NASA's room at night for treatment. So as Maddie says, I mean, who sends a 14-year-old child alone to a man's hotel room at night? Nothing good's gonna come out of that. Ooh. Right? Nothing's good. Um, and she says they abandoned her. Because she trusted them, she relied on them to protect her. Yeah, and that's so. In that sense, she will tell you. To your question, this is what the other girls say about Nasser: that he's a, you know, he's a dweeb, he's a perp, he's a weird guy. Yes. The enablers, on the other hand, that's the real anger. Right. Um, which countries are creating the best laws um, surrounding 
punishing the enabler. Well, first of all, so it's a race. I'm working with, uh, with I've worked with the Victoria, Australia legislature. I've testified in Holland and I'm working with the legislature in Utah. I told all three, A, B, C, it's a race. Whoever wins, wins. I'm, I will, I, and I reached out now to people in the UK. Um, I'll, I, I will work with anyone. Um, I don't care what country, I don't care what jurisdiction. By the way, here in the United States, I mean, I'm, I'm in Israel, but the United States, this is not a Democrat-Republican issue. The question is really simple. Are we going to protect the vulnerable or not protect the vulnerable? And I really don't care. I will, I will work with anyone, anyone, anyone on one condition. The only person uh, I will not work, work with is I will not work with Holocaust deniers. I just won't. Um, I debated a Holocaust minimizer, and that was enough for me. Um, but I will not interact with Holocaust deniers. Everybody else, I will work with anybody. Um, but are there certain countries that are leading the sort of fight for those kinds of laws? Not At the yet. moment, fair fight. Game on. Game on. Um, Game on. And what are, are you working on a new book now? I am. I'm working on, on a new book um, called The Ecosystem of Pedophilia, which is terrible, right? Wow. Wow. Uh, it's based on the, 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 the kickoff of the book is the murder of the 12-year-old boy, Jeremy Bell. Yeah. And then having a long discussion about enablers, long discussion about ecosystems. Um, yeah, I, it is a terrible book, and that's what I'm working on. In addition and, to an article about the boy. But is obviously the ecosystem will lead, in your case, to legislation. That's the point. That's what drives me. That's what drives me all day, all night. The other thing that's that interesting is not the I hate the word interesting. As a result of all this, is most mornings. Um, I wake up to emails from um, people who around the world who reach out to me because they've heard me, seen me, whatever. Not to talk about the perp. I mean, the perp's the perp. And many, whether or many of them, men and women alike, tell me the perp. You know, it sucked, but move on. It's the enabler who's, who really is causing them retrospectively significant. I mean, more than significant, real anger. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, I think of my own life, even something as simple as, as a parent um, not condoning bad behavior on the part of a sibling is painful enough, right? And then you think about these massive affronts like sexual assault and pedophilia. I, it, it must be intolerable. Yeah, I, I had a, a woman reached out to me, we'll call her Jane, um, who was raped, a date rape. And she, she reached out to me. He said, listen, it sucked. I was stupid. He was stupid. He was drunk. I was drunk. It, it was awful. Okay, shit happens. She said, but that's not who I'm mad at. She said, now I understand who enabled him. And that's who angers me. And I thought that was a really, really interesting way of approaching. Uh, I, I can't end as, as an American to an American. I can't end without asking you whether, you know, you've obviously witnessed the enablers in Congress when it came to January 6th. And um, not standing up to an insurrection. And there's been a lot politically, um, which is obviously brings back memories to all of us who are Holocaust children. Um, and I just wonder if you you see parallels to anything happening in our own country politically with with you know turning turning the other turning turning. Yeah, so that's, a, that's an interesting question. I I probably drive my friends crazy. I'm a, I'm a total buzz killer at dinner parties. Like, what do you work on? <laughs> Let me tell you about my recent book. Um, I, I, you know, January 6th obviously is, is beyond awful, beyond, beyond awful, but I, I, maybe it's all connected, um, and without making this into politics, but when 
You know, the former president of the United States of America has this cash dinner with a Holocaust denier. And then, right, and then members of a political of a particular political party trip over themselves. Yes. I don't know if they to protect him or to protect themselves or to protect themselves. However, you define it, those are um, they're not they're they're actually bystanders and enablers. Yes. Um, when yeah. I don't know if you're a sports fan, um, but when Mr. Kyrie Irving, who is a uh, horrible human being. When he retweets whatever anti-Semitic movie with his 17 million followers, and then he trips over himself apologizing. I don't believe a word of that apology. Or when Kanye West, is that his name, Kanye West, Mr. Yee, Yay, whatever the hell his name is, and he's got his 37 million um, followers. So he too is a god-awful human being. But what worries me is that people like that have real influence. They're influencers. A word I never knew what the hell it means, but I understand these are influencers. And the fact that the former president of the United States of America saw fit to have dinner with Mr. E. West, whatever his name is, because he said a few nice things about him on some TV show, that's, that is, is really problematic. I said last week in a talk in Washington, where I was very graciously invited by the Dutch Minister of Justice, I said there that we are in an age of Holocaust denial, and that scares the hell out of me. But would is there legislation that can, um, for example... Would there be any legal price to pay for um, uh, somebody not not um, not somebody allowing? I mean, I I, no, I feel no. like so in Germany, Holocaust denial is a crime. Yes, um, is that something that could be you know legislated here? It's an yes. interesting question. You know, there are X number of states who have mandatory Holocaust education. Um, and I think, and I've worked with different legislators from different places. I think that's really, really, really important. The idea of criminalizing Holocaust denial, if I mean, go online. I mean, I, I, I'm not really a social media, but I go online to follow this stuff. Um, and there's clearly a spike. I, mean, I don't, but, I, I mean, know I see all the studies and the statistics, but it's pretty clear that, that people like Mr. Irving um, and Mr. Yee West uh, have real impact. And then, um, you know, the, the whatever his name is, who Trump had dinner with. And then I see Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. I've never heard of him. And then there's the video of her, you know, all but embracing him or um, the, the fellow who I understand wants to be the Speaker of the House tripping over themselves. Yeah, that's highly, highly problematic. These are these are significantly influential people. Yeah. So, I mean, I of course, then it, it becomes, you know, then if it's Holocaust deny, denial that is illegal, then what else becomes illegal? Um, a lie? Does a lie become illegal? I don't know. You know, it's no, it's no, you're right. These are questions. So, I mean, you're asking the right philosophical questions, which is why, for a person of, like me, of you know, swim lane, limited intelligence guy, it's enough for me to focus on on, on enablers and bystanders as, as I'm doing. Taking beyond that, um, I'm an, I told you, right? I'm enough of a buzz beater, bus killer at parties. We need to, we no need to go beyond that. Well, listen, I I would welcome sitting next to you at a dinner party. Oh, dude, um, especially I'm, if we had Hungarian food. Um, but here's the difference between the two of us. It's very interesting. You asked me half an hour ago if, if if my parents are Hungarian Holocaust survivors. So now that we're friends, I will correct you on behalf of my late parents. So let's say my, they were here. My parents would very much disagree with you. My parents would tell you that they are Jews who happened yes. to be from Hungary. It they is. were not Hungarians. Yeah, I understand I that. I understand that. But I Whatsoever. still got my Bella Nanny making that great co- that great kokosh cake. 
I can't help it. I got it. I got the kokosh cake. It's very, but for my parents, this was a non-starter. Jews and, and my great grandfather, Satmar. I mean, I come from hardcore. I was the chief rabbi of Eastern Hungary. I mean, I come from hardcore, hardcore. Um, and my both my late father and my late mother absolutely loathed anything related. Interesting. But I will say one last story. One last story. Yes. 20 years ago, the Hungarian Catholic Church did an extraordinary conference under the auspices of the Vatican, mea culpa. And they looked for a keynote speaker and the conditions, the, the criteria for the keynote speaker had to be Holocaust survivor from Hungary, world-class reputation academic, and somebody who would speak Hungarian. So they did this Google schmoogle search and they invited my father to be the keynote speaker. And my father's conditions were one, that he would speak the truth, and two, that he would not speak Hungarian. They said to him, on Hungarian, we can speak whatever the language you want, and the truth, we need to think about it. And to which he responded, if the truth doesn't work for you, then I'm not in. And there was a back and forth negotiation, back and forth negotiation. At the end of the day, they said yes to the truth and speak whatever language you want. Um, and my father really gave this speech, which got a lot of coverage. I never knew about any of this because we don't share it with the child. I'm 65 now, I was 45 then. Uh, my mom went with my dad to Budapest for the, to, for the talk. She didn't go to the talk yet. She had no idea what they talked about at all, at all. She never knew about it, ever. And she finally learned about it because when my father turned 90, we, we uh, published a book on his behalf. And the Holocaust Museum in Washington found the lecture, translated it on their own time and dime. And we turned that into a book about my dad. And when my mom read the lecture, she said to me, this is bullshit. He never, because he talked about reconciliation. And my mother said, BS, he never would have talked that way. I said, I don't have talked that way. He wrote about it. Um, and she said, you know, when he would, when he was, say, 50, he never would have talked that way. Um, she never, ever forgot or forgave, ever, yeah. to her dying breath. Yeah. yeah. And my dad never forgot. Did he forgive? There you go. Complicated. On that note, I hope I didn't bore you. Um Bore me, I could go on and on. I'm fascinated. Now I just have more questions and I, I look forward to, to following you and, and thank you. It's very reading gracious. your latest book. And yeah, thank you so much. Kusunum Sepen, as they say in Hungarian. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Okay. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you. All the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.